We need your help. Dial 877-738-1234 to make a gift. We're right back to it. The 21st Annual WEEI Nesson Jimmy Fund Radio Telethon. Uh, Tug Board now showing $1,488,077. And we want to keep those phones busy here. We're with you up until midnight. And we are so thrilled to be joined for the second straight year by another cancer survivor, one of the great umpires in the game, our good friend Phil Cuzzy. Happy birthday, Phil. Happy birthday. Ah, Thank you. (laughs) Perfect timing, right? Very good. Always nice to talk to you, Joe, and always nice to, uh, to support the Jimmy Fund. Well, we certainly appreciate it. We're here with uh, my broadcast partner, Will Fleming, and uh, you had the well, you had a ten-inning game, but w- was it the night off working at third base? There's never a night off, Joe. You know that. <laughs> never a night off. You no. know, <laughs> you guys work so because hard. Plays and... will have a way of finding you, no matter where you are on the field. Yeah, you had some memorable games in Red Sox history. I remember one. When uh, there was a big brawl at Tampa Bay, that was in two thousand. That yes, that was that was also on my birthday. <laughs> really? Wait. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Now because Pedro I hit. Thinking, was that Pedro, yeah, Pedro hitting? Pedro was pitching. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think uh, I forget who the per- first person that he hit, but but I remember thinking the night before. Oh, I hear Pedro's pitching tomorrow. I said, well, what, a, what a nice birthday gift. I get Pedro behind the plate. He should be throwing strikes, and uh, it should be a good game. And he was throwing strikes. It was just at the back of somebody's head, back of somebody's uh, rear end. But, I think it was Gerald Williams, yeah. Ice Williams. Yes, it was. I think that was the first person that he hit. I think he hit him in the wrist, if I remember right. And Gerald kind of looked at him and thought about it, and then, boom, before he took a few steps to first, and then he took off. Uh, for Pedro, and it was it was lights out after that. I, I don't Phil. remember the, the t- total number, but we had quite a few number rejections that day. I think it was seven. Yeah, <laughs> and the Red Sox had yeah. two guys hurt in that melee. Usually, you know, they don't amount to much, but uh, Brian Dahlbach got pinned in the bottom of a pile, and somebody was pummeling him, and uh, his batting average suffered. He lost about 80 points in the final month because he was playing hurt. And did Lou Merloni get yeah, hurt, Yeah, he got too? concussed and had a big shoulder injury there. Phil, it, our, our fans obviously revere Pedro, and I think a lot of us would go back in a time machine and watch him pitch. It was such theater, and he was such a showman and truly one of the all-time greats. You have had a view of him that literally almost no one walking the earth has had. What was it like to crouch behind home plate and watch Pedro when he was at his best? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it, it was a thrill because you knew that he was going to, you know, pitch a good ball game, and you knew that he was going to be throwing strikes, and uh, you know, and and as a plate umpire, that that's all you want to happen. You you want him to be around the plate throwing strikes because if he's throwing strikes, they're swinging the bat, and you know, when we come out and have a game where the pitcher just can't seem to find the plate, there's no rhythm to the game. The, the pitch clock has created more rhythm in the game than we've had in, in years, but the pitcher still has to be around the plate for, for, for the hitter to swing. And that creates rhythm and rhythm makes for an exciting game. And I know as, as umpires, we just want to see rhythm in, in the game. And, and, and Pedro provided that. Yeah, that's certainly a great point. And, uh, you know, the pitch clock means more responsibility for the home plate umpire, but you love it anyway. 
yeah, it, it's much more work for us, but it really it truly is worth it. And, you know, I always said long before the pitch clock that I'm surprised that pitching coaches don't tell their pitcher just get on the mound and throw. Yeah. Because if you just if you if you just get the ball and throw and don't walk around and you're not giving your defense behind you a chance to daydream or to drift off. And the pitch clock, you know, has really created that. And and at first, you know, I, I consider myself a purist of the game. And at first I thought the pitch clock, I said, well, you know, baseball never had a clock. The beauty of baseball was that there was no clock. And and then the, uh, and then when, when they put in the pitch clock, we said, okay, how, how's this going to go? And then coupled with the, with the taking away the shift, I said, you know, uh, as a purist, th- this has made the game more – like I remember it as a kid because the, the pitcher, you know, he, he, he gets the ball, he throws with nobody on base 15 seconds by the time he, the catcher throws him back the ball. So it, it, it really, to me, has brought the, the game back to more pure, even though we had to use, you know, we had to substitute different ways in order to achieve that, the pitch clock doing away with the shift. Uh, you know, you, you see a guy hit a bullet up the middle last year and there's a guy standing there waiting for it, you know. Now, now the game is, to me, more pure the way it used to be, as I remember it as a kid. Yeah, it's a great point, and uh, it's refreshing to hear you say that because we all love the pitch clock. Uh, it just, as you say, adds rhythm to the game. Phil, before we get to your battle with cancer, your successful battle, your battle to get back in the big leagues, I mean, what a story of perseverance showing how much you love the game. You were working a AAA and as a fill-in Major League umpire, and there were no jobs, so you were let go in 1993. Uh, yes, after after expansion of Colorado and and Florida, um, I thought that I might have gotten one of those jobs because I think there was going to be seven. And then uh, when I wasn't, in the following year, I was let go, and it was it was devastating. And uh, it was just you know I said I, I just I just I just didn't feel like I was ready to go. And, you know, I mean, guys get released every year and they kind of just fade away. And, and some guys have different feelings about it. And they say, well, you know, I'm going to do something else now. And, and I never had that in my mind. I said, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can to get back into the game. And it took me three years, but, uh, but I did. And Wait. it was certainly worth the wait. You were working at a hotel, and you had a chance meeting with Len Coleman, then the National League president. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so I look at it as divine intervention because, uh, you know, the union was trying to help me to get back, but there were so many things along those three years. There was a, a player strike, there was an umpire strike, and you know, my situation uh, wasn't even on the back burner. It was, it was off. The, it wasn't on the stove at all. And uh, so, you know, one day I said, you know what, I'm just going to, there's a new league president coming in and uh, it was Len Coleman. And I said, I'm just going to write Len Coleman a letter and I'm just going to explain my situation. And I'm going to just tell him that, you know, I've been to umpire school four times. And uh, I said, I'll go back a fifth time if he wants me to, but I just want to get back into the game. And I wrote this letter. I took a weekend and I wrote the letter. And when I went to, went to work, uh, that on that Monday, um, uh, my sister. Uh, the reason I brought the letter was because my sister was working at the hotel, 
And I said, I'm going to have my sister proofread it just to make sure that there's no spelling errors, grammatical errors. And just as luck would have it, um, the day I brought the letter in my pocket for my sister to read, Lynn Coleman was checking into the hotel. <laughs> and I would not have had it in my pocket if if not for that. I was just going to bring it there for my wow. sister to see. And uh, he, that was the year that the Phillies had the All-Star game. And he was at the All-Star game and he was hosting, I believe it was the Japanese um, league president and and his contingency. And and uh, they were staying at the hotel uh, just as, as fate would have it. And because after I wrote the letter, I'm saying, well, I, I can't just mail it to his office in New York. He'll never get it. He'll never read it. <laughs> I, I said, I don't know where he lives, but I guess I can find out where he lives. I can wait in his driveway. And when he gets out of the car, I can hand it to him. And here we go. He's checking into the hotel. And I waited for him, and I knocked on his door, and he was in the shower, and uh, he said, yeah, what is it? I said, uh, you know, my, 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 my vision was I was going to knock on the door. He's going to open the door. I'm going to hand him a letter. Well, I knocked on the door, and he wasn't going to open it because he was in the shower. I heard the water running. <laughs> and, and then uh, he said, what is it? I said, uh, uh, I, I had to pull an audible because I wasn't expecting that. And I said, uh, Mr. Coleman, I have a letter for you here. He says, a letter? Just slip it under the door. And I said, well, if you don't mind, uh, I really need to hand deliver this. And he later told me that he thought he, that I was a bellman just wanting to get a tip. And I wouldn't have gotten a tip if I just slipped under the door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you had to go all the way back to the low minors? <clears throat> uh, he, yes. I, he, he, he read the letter. I, I slipped it under the door because when I went back, I heard him snoring. He was sleeping. So I called down to the front desk and I said, does Mr. Coleman have a wake-up call? Yes, he does. He has a wake-up call at 630 I said, okay, 6.30, I was back in front of his door, and I waited for him to open the door. And uh, he opened the door, and there he was, and he, he, he knew who I was, but he never saw me before. And he had a big smile on his face when he saw me. And uh, I said, good morning, Mr. Coleman. And he said, good morning. I said, Mr. Coleman, pardon the ambush, but I'm Phil Cuzzy. And his smile dropped off his face. He thought I was stalking him. And uh, I said, if you get a chance to read my letter, long story short, he said, I will get back to you about this. And I thought he was just being nice. And he gave me every opportunity to, to plead my case and to speak to him. And, and I, I left him that morning with a peace because I said, there is nothing more I can do. I had this opportunity and wherever it goes. And he told me that he would call me after the season was over. And I thought he was just being nice. And lo and behold, he did call me. And uh, right after the World Series that year, and uh, he said, "Listen, I, I'm I'm going against the advice of the attorneys, but I think it's a, a feel-good story, and I'm going to do it." However, he said, "You're going to have to go back to umpire. You're going to have to go not to umpire school, but I had to go back to the evaluation course, which the the successful graduates go to out of umpire school." And then he said, "Then you have to go into A ball for a year, double A for a year, triple A for a year." I'm 40 years old at the time. And uh, he said, no guarantees, except that I guarantee that you'll get a fair shot. I said, I'll take it. And it worked out, and here I am. This is year 25. Except I'm powering at 69 today, huh? Amazing. 68. Come on, Joe. Don't push me. Come on. Don't, don't push my older. I added wrong. Right. 19. Yeah, I saw that. Right. 1955. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. so you get back to the big leagues, and then 
I don't know how many years after, but not too long ago, you were diagnosed with prostate cancer. Yes, in, in 16. And it was only because, uh, 2016, because of our annual physicals with, with MLB. And we, we go out to Phoenix for that every January. And we have our meetings and we have our physicals and, and they take blood work. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, if, if there's anything high, you know, off with your blood work, then you see the doctor. And, uh, you know, so uh, they'll, they'll notify you if you need to see the doctor. And some guys, it may be high cholesterol and, and they might see the doctor and a dietitian or whatever. And, and uh, so I, I see the doctor and I, I thought maybe it might have been cholesterol because I kind of flirted with, with uh, borderline cholesterol. And he said, um, did you eat before you uh, gave blood? I said, no, I fasted. He said, okay, I don't want you to panic. He said, but your, your PSA, I didn't even know what a PSA was, but the PSA is the marker for uh, prostate cancer, and it should be zero. And I didn't realize that, that in the past three years, it was, it was 2.5, and then it went up to 3.5, and then this year, in, in 16, it was, it was 4.5. And he said, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's cancer, but, you know, I, you really should go see an oncologist. And I did, and uh, and sure enough, it did turn out to be a cancer. But it was only because, and it is a slow-growing cancer. But it was only because I I had a blood test, and a simple blood test, and and that's what it showed. And uh, and then there were there were many, you know, you have many options depending upon where it is, how much it is, and uh, and and at first, you know, with, with the uh, with the MRI that I had. Doctor said, "I see one little lesion in your prostate. The prostate's the size of a walnut." And he said, "I see one little lesion." He said, "To be honest with you, my experience tells me that that uh, that it's prostate cancer." So um, I said, "Okay." He said, "Well, you know, we're going to do a biopsy." And they did a biopsy, and he said, um, "You know, in the old days, meaning six months ago, we would just take random shots in the in the, in the prostate." And now we can zero right in on that lesion. And, and, and long story short, I had a few different spots in the prostate, and some couple of them were approaching the wall of the prostate. Um, if they, if, if it breaks through the prostate, you know, then then it's a completely different situation that you're in. Like Joe Torre uh, had it, and his broke through, and um, uh, so he, you know, he had to get follow-up treatment because mine was all contained in the prostate. My best option was to have it removed. I did, and uh, I, I only missed uh, like uh, two weeks of work. Really? Uh, I had it done during the vacation week, and uh, you know the doctor. So I said, Doc, how long do you think it's going to keep me down? And he said, Well, if you work behind a desk, I would say you can go back to work in in a week. He said, With your job, I'm going to let your body dictate when you can go back. So I missed about two weeks, but but the thing was, uh, it was a simple procedure. And I mean, nothing is simple when you hear cancer, right? But but for me, it turned out to be uh, an easy procedure. Um, my life was saved because of a simple blood test, and I have I have no residual uh, effects. Um, and I, I I I stress to everybody I come in contact with, all my colleagues, the umpires, they they you know, like I said, I didn't know what a PSA was. When I say to when I say to a guy. You know, who's maybe fifty? Hey, you're going for a physical. Did you get a PSA? He said, 
I don't know. What, what is a PSA? And so it's really just, you know, trying to uh, educate uh, guys about it. And, you know, the, the, the same number of, I think it's like one in seven guys will have prostate cancer, the same as women with breast cancer. And um, they say that that most men will die with prostate cancer, not because of prostate cancer. But if you don't know you have it, and if it breaks through, uh, it, it's, it could be deadly, certainly. Well, Phil, that's a great story and perseverance. And you, you show your love for baseball by coming back to work so quickly <laughs> after that and uh, what you did to get back into the game uh, with uh, your relationship with Len Coleman is just uh, a marvelous story. And uh, it's great to see somebody who, who loves what they do as much as you do. It's a yeah, tough well, job. <laughs> you know, it's uh, they say they say, uh, you know, wh- wh- why would you fight so hard to get a job where nobody likes you? <laughs> said, well, <laughs> yeah, you, have, right. <laughs> you, you know, you, you know, the funny thing that don't ask me how or why it happened. But tonight, um, the uh, th- there was a group of team. I was working third base had the plate last night. I, and there's a group of teenagers, maybe five or six teenagers sitting on the third base line. How they knew it was my birthday, I still don't know. I don't think they announced it here. I didn't see it announced here. And they started singing happy birthday to me. I never had that before at a stadium. I had these teenagers singing happy birthday to me during the game. That's so, better than what you usually hear, Phil. <laughs> oh, I usually hear a lot worse than that, I can't say. <laughs> well, it's, it, Phil, it's, it's a wonderful story, and I know uh, it's very inspiring, and I think uh, it's, it's something that the guys have to check. You know, as Dusty Baker told us, he's a prostate cancer survivor. You know, women generally have uh, breast imaging and for breast cancer, and guys are not uh, quite as uh, dedicated in, in getting tested uh, with a blood test as uh, as you have pointed out, and it's it's certainly critical. Yeah. You know, I, and I also I also give credit to, to baseball and my job because if I, if I had, I don't know, what I would be doing, you know, if I wasn't, I started as a school teacher, but you know, it, it was only because of an annual physical. And and if I didn't have a job where I had the, the great insurance that we do, I don't know if I would have went to a doctor every year, you know? So, you know, because of my position, I, I'm, I'm, I thank God that we have the insurance that we do and we have the, the you know, the, the healthcare that we do. And if not for that, I, I might've been in a completely different ball game. Well, Phil, we really appreciate you sharing your wonderful story uh, with us, and we we really admire your love of baseball. I hope we see you back in Boston or on the road before yes, the end of the back. season. We come back with the White Sox uh, in September, so I will look for you then. Very good. We'll try to have some uh, tagging treats for you. That's too. it. <laughs> okay. Listen, you got a lot to do. There's a there's a cop in, in St. Louis. He brings me cannolis every time I come to St. Louis here. So, but, uh, we'll go but to Modern Pastry anyway. in the North End or Mike's. And we'll take care of you, take Phil. Thanks you. so much. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you, and good luck with the Jimmy Fund. Okay. Well, good, good health to you, uh, Phil Cuzzy. Thank you so much.